Brethren, I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scriptures to Psalm 98, our text today. I'll be reading the entirety of the psalm, Psalm 98. Here once again, the very Word of God. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have gained Him the victory. The Lord has made known His salvation, His righteousness He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For He is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He will judge the world and the peoples with equity. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father, as we recount the blessings that You have bestowed upon Your people, first for the people of Israel and now the Gentile nations, it is with gratitude in our hearts that this morning we have already sung Your praises and that we will do it again. We thank You, Lord, that You have opened lips to sing Your praises that were once lips used to curse You. We thank You, Lord, that You have opened our eyes and our ears to understand the truth of Your Word and the work of Your Son and this Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank You for the faith that You've brought into our minds and hearts that we might embrace these great truths to Your glory and for the good of Your people. Father, as Your kingdom advances and as You have chosen us to be part of that kingdom, we pray that we would be fit vessels for Your use in the advancement of Your kingdom. That we would not grow weary in well-doing. That we would strive to overcome the sins that so easily beset us. That we would not yield to the temptations that come into our lives. But rather, Lord, dwell on Your great works on our behalf. Desire to do those things which bring honor to You. To keep the great commandments that You've given us, first in the dominion mandate and then in the great commission that, Lord, Your kingdom would flourish on this earth, that Your name would be exalted as it is in the heavenlies on this earth, and that Your people would remain faithful. All this we pray in the great and strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Today, brethren, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and you'll hear that in just a few moments. Today, I would have normally preached a sermon on the sanctity of human life as we are passing yet another anniversary of the Supreme Court's horrific decision in Roe v. Wade. Some 44 years ago, we as a country began the lawful, systematic murder of children in the womb, sacrificing them on the altar of sexual convenience. Such genocide, I believe, God will not tolerate much longer. Our nation needs to repent and throw itself on God's mercy, or His justice and equity will be poured out upon us in great measure. 
Now, as I said before, that would normally have been my sermon today. But there is another anniversary that has taken place this month that I want to bring to, to our attention. But before I mention that event, I want to share a few historical events that were taking place 10 years ago in 2007. You may not remember some of these things. One of them, I'm almost certain everybody will remember. Uh, in that year, 2007, Bulgaria and Romania joined the European Union. Two former Soviet-controlled countries. They joined the European Union. Nancy Pelosi was elected by the 110th Congress to be the first woman Speaker of the House. Adam Air, flight number 574, disappeared over Indonesia with 102 souls on board. And lastly, the one I suspect you'll all have some recollection of. When flip phones were all the rage, Steve Jobs introduced the first smartphone to the world, the iPhone. That was 10 years ago. Yet with all these events taking place, it was a meeting of the Ohio Valley Presbytery that took place that I want to bring us to remembrance, or to bring to your remembrance. At that meeting, two mission churches were recognized as beginning in northern Kentucky, Trinity Presbyterian Mission and Grace and Peace Presbyterian Mission. So our church and Grace and Peace were first recognized as mission churches. Three months earlier, in October 2006, the Church of the Covenant had organized our mission work but it wasn't until January of 2007 that our work was officially recognized by the Presbytery. By my count, Trinity numbered 10 families and a total of 26 members at its beginning. Our budget was just north of $60,000, and we had just begun meeting in the afternoons at Amazing Grace Lutheran Church on Pleasant Valley Road in Florence. Brethren, today our membership stands at 100 with an additional six regular attending folks to our services. Our giving this past year exceeded 170000 which included the matching grant funds for our building renovations. Now I'm rehearsing these statistics for us, to, for us to see that God has begun a good work in us and continue, continues to graciously cultivate our church and our work. Now, for the benefit of those who haven't been at Trinity for these last 10 years, just a few more historical details might be helpful. Since our recognition by the Presbytery in 2007, Trinity has, ha has had two additional meeting places. Following our stay at Amazing Grace, for three years we met at the Creation Museum prior to purchasing the properties that we own today. We have also had no less than 10 marriages Numerous covenant children born. Many baptisms of covenant children and new converts. We have hosted two conferences, organized the Boniface Brotherhood, and enjoyed barn dances, yuletide balls, recorder concerts, and the Dickens Christmas concert in Town Walk several years back. Additionally, we as a mission church were approached by another startup group in Middlesbrough, Kentucky to assist them in beginning a mission church in the Cumberland Gap. This was while we were still a mission church. Another group was beginning and asked us to help them become established as a mission church. That's where I was last week, preaching it in Middlesbrough. 
We have had the privilege of sending a church planner to that work, Don Avon, who is now retired though, and, and we see Grace Fellowship, be, we have seen Grace Fellowship become an official mission of our presbytery as well. We were blessed as well to see our mission work become a particular church in October of 2000. And there's a little debate between my wife and I, eight or nine. I still need to go back and look at some historical records. I may need your help, Shay. Where's Shay? Eight, 2008. Uh, we had two elders, uh, uh, one elder ordained, one, one installed in, uh, as well at that time, Shay Foud and Tom Hill. They, along with myself, were installed as elders to oversee the congregation at our particularization. We have also added another elder, Craig Spiker, and two deacons, Rick Paffrath and Jonathan Spiker, as officers in our church. Brethren, God's blessings upon us are manifold. These are just a few of the things that have happened over the last ten years. It's not my intention for us to become proud of all that God has accomplished in us. It is my intention that we look upon these blessings as God being faithful in His covenant promises to His church of which we are a part. God has been faithful. We gather each Sunday to worship Him. We embrace the ordinary means of grace as those things that are most important to us and the essence of of the work of the church from Acts 2.42. God has shown His blessings upon us. And that's what I want us to recount. There's an old, I think it's a Fanny Crosby hymn. Uh, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Uh, those of you with a Baptist background or a, or a, 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 a Methodist background probably remember those hymns better than I do. Though I have had some time in both of those churches, uh, Methodist and Baptist churches, um, there is a very real sense in which that hymn uh, is something that we ought to practice practice frequently. And that's what I want to bring, a, bring to our remembrance today from Psalm 98. I could have chosen Psalm uh, 92, the one we've just sung. However, there's some, there's some uh, harshness in that psalm that I didn't want to emphasize today, and so I chose Psalm 98 instead. Brethren, pride has no place in these blessings that God has bestowed upon us. God is at work, and we are His craftsmanship. He is the potter, the Scripture says, and we are the clay. He is forming us to be useful for His kingdom. And that formation happens both individually and corporately as a people. Rather than pride, it is my hope that we remember these things with humble thanksgiving. God is graciously at work in us. May we in humble gratitude hope and pray that He would continue to work in and through us for His glory and our good. Now, I don't want to presume upon this, but if God were to work the same work in the next ten years that He has worked in us thus far, we would see a tripling of our numbers. That building next door to us that we hope to fill one day, maybe in 10 years will be filled. In 20 years, it might be too small. Wouldn't that be a, a wondrous thing to think of? In 20 years, that building might be too small for us. And yet, we often think that 
Things aren't moving quickly enough. I've said before, we live in, the, in an age of just add water, you know, the, the digital age where you press a button and all kinds of information is at your fingertips in seconds or milliseconds even. And it's getting faster all the time. It used to be that, that calculations on a computer, I think the, the figure was that they would double every month the fastness of computers. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I suspect there's some limitation to that somewhere, but I'm not sure we've reached it yet. But we, we live in an age where things are instantaneous. And so we grow weary of things taking time. Brethren, let me tell you something. The Bible calls the church, or refers to the church, as a tree that is growing. A tree that is growing. That's why often you'll see a, a tree as a symbol of a particular church you know, when they pick a symbol to, to portray what their church is like, you'll often see a tree. And typically it's a great oak tree or some uh, great hardwood tree that is mature and, and, and uh, uh, with a large canopy and a large root system as well. I, I think it would be better to see a big fruit tree because the Bible talks about us bearing fruit so many places. Uh, even the passage we read this morning, uh, in the Lectio Continua spoke of that. Trees take time to cultivate and to nourish and to grow. And over time, they have this great benefit to all that's around them. Jesus, in talking about the kingdom parable, says the, church is, or the kingdom of God is like a great tree that the birds of the air flock to. It's a place of refuge for the church. But not only that, it's a place of nourishment. Fruit-bearing trees are supposed to be those things that nourish the church. It's supposed to be strong, able to withstand uh, storms and, and tempests. And these great trees can do that. Uh, but as we all know, some of them rot. Or that they have branches that are not fruit-bearing. And, and Paul writes about this in Romans 9-11. through And he talks about the tree branches needing to be cut off that uh, fruit-bearing branches might be engrafted in. So that takes place too. But God is building a tree. We're a 10-year-old tree. That's it. 10 years old. Now, if you were to go into your yard and look at a 10-year-old tree, how big around would that thing be? My guess is you could still put your fingers around it. Very few 10-year-old trees are bigger than what you could put your fingers around. I'm not saying that to disturb you. <laughs> I'm saying that to say God is still working in us to grow us, to cultivate us. Um, that's a fire truck. Let, let's pause real quick. and pray. I don't know what's going on, but let's pray for that need, whatever it is. Father in Heaven, um, we hear the emergency vehicles go by and we don't know uh, the need. They are close at hand. We pray that You would meet the needs of those who are are in distress right now and give uh, wisdom and discernment for those who are meeting those needs to do the right thing on their behalf. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let me bring us back. So why have I chosen Psalm 98 in the midst of all of this? Why is that psalm important? Well, with these blessings in mind, I've chosen Psalm 98, a psalm we often sing here in worship to show us that we as a church plant in 2007 and now an established church in 2017 
have been part of God's plan to cover the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. We're part of that work. It is in Psalm 98 that we see the glorious salvation of the Lord contemplated for all the nations, including our own. Beginning in verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have gained Him the victory. The Lord has made known His salvation. His righteousness He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The psalmist records the necessity of singing a new song to the Lord for His marvelous works, His marvelous handiwork. In His might, His right hand and His holy arm, and I believe that's a reference to Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father even now, making intercession for us. His right hand and His holy arm, He has gained the victory. His salvation has been revealed to Israel and the nations of the world. You see, even in that Old Testament psalm that was given before the advent of our Savior, not only was Israel contemplated in God's salvation, but the nations of the world. Who is at the right hand of God? Who is is it that wields the sword of the Lord? It is none other than Jesus, our Lord. And He brings that salvation to the nations. Notice that the mercy and faithfulness remembered on behalf of Israel is then seen by the ends of the earth. God's righteousness is revealed in the sight of the nations. And it is God who does the revealing. God has shown Himself to the nations. He is showing Himself to our nation through churches like ours. We are part of His work. We are are the voice given to His truth in the proclamation of the Gospel. So in verse 4, the psalmist reminds or demands that his praises be sung. Praises sung to the King who has brought this salvation to men. All the nations of men. And beginning in verse 4, we read, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. I should have said it this way. Shout joyfully to all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord the King. Brethren, both our lips and with musical instruments played with our hands, we are to shout joyfully to the Lord, and this includes all the earth. God is not slack concerning His promises. On the contrary, He is working out all His holy will in every corner of the earth, even in the little shire known as Ludlow, Kentucky. His salvation... Did you like that shire reference? I thought about that earlier today. I thought, I'm going to put that in there. The shire of Ludlow, Kentucky. Okay. His salvation and the glory of the Lord in converting the earth... God has chosen a little church called Trinity to be part of His plans and purposes. That's what we're doing here. That's who we are. That's what we should be compelled to 
to keep doing, declare the glories of the Lord. Call people to repentance and faith. When the Lord's work is being accomplished, we are to take notice and sing His praises. That is the crux of today's lesson. God is at work and He has not fallen asleep. He is not tired of subduing the nations under His Son's feet as He has promised in Psalm 110.1. We may think He's slow at doing it, but we should not confuse slowness with long-suffering. He is not slow. He is long-suffering. He is pulling a people together, and that takes time because people have to understand that they are sinners and they have to learn that by the proclamation of the Word and they have to learn to repent and believe on Christ. All that takes time. That is the growing of the tree. Brethren, part of humble praise for God's mighty handiwork is verbal recognition. Verbal recognition. That's what this psalm is about. Sing a new song. Shout joyfully to the Lord. We cannot honor God in His mighty works with clenched teeth and closed lips. Let me say that again. We cannot honor God in His mighty works with clenched teeth and closed lips. Our gratitude must be verbalized and shown with our hands. This psalm tells us that. Sing a new song. Play with the harps, these melodies. Praise to God comes from the heart. We we have a reference to that in the passage that was read earlier from Luke chapter 6. The importance of the heart. Notice these verses, 43 through 45. The the, the tree thing is, is spoken of here as well. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Are we grateful for what God is doing in our midst? Or do we crumble and complain thinking that we're not doing enough. Let's first be grateful. And then examine what more we can do for the kingdom of God. That gratitude needs to come out our lips and out our hands. Part of humble praise for God's mighty handiwork is verbal recognition, as I've said. And this, I believe, is the thrust of the final verses of of Psalm 98. God's glory is verbalized not just by His people, but by His creation itself. If we don't do that work of, of singing the praises of God, that's in some respects, that's okay. The creation itself is going to do it. Verse 7, Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the world and those who dwell in it. So let's add our voices to the roaring sea that's bringing praise to God. Let the rivers clap their hands. Uh, I'm not sure how that happens. Uh, I suspect that's probably in the, in the rapids, right? The rivers clapping their hands. And let the hills be joyful together with the Lord, or before the Lord. I suspect that's the winds blowing through the trees and the hills, singing the praises of God. Brethren, the Lord will always be praised. He will receive His praise from His creation. And if we don't add our voices to that cacophony of sound, 
That's okay. The creation's going to do it anyway. That's the thrust of these verses in Psalm 98. God delights in us adding our praise to the cacophony of praise that's given to Him in the creation. These praises are to be in keeping with the mighty works He has done. Yet in the final verse of this psalm, verse 9, we are reminded that God's work is not yet finished and He will be diligent to bring it to a successful end in all His holy will. Verse 9, For He is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. For those who have embraced God's salvation in Christ Jesus, those who have bowed their knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords, for the Christian, the proclamation that God is coming to judge the earth with righteousness and equity, though serious, is not a time for fear. The Christian ought not to fear these words. He is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness He will judge the world and the peoples with equity. In Christ, He's already judged our lives. Christ has borne our judgment. He has given us forgiveness of our sins. He has promised us eternal life. We ought not to fear the coming day of judgment. For us, it's a promise of coming rest. That's what it is. It's a promise of coming rest. There will be a day when all these trials and these tempestuous things that we have to endure are done away with. And we enter into our rest. Eternal rest. For those here today who have not embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior, His coming to judge the world and its inhabitants with righteousness and equity should be a cause for grave concern. And I do mean grave concern. You must humble yourselves before God if you've not yet done that. You must embrace His Son as your Lord and Savior, confessing and repenting of your sin so that at His coming, His wrath will pass over you because you have the blood of Christ pleading your forgiveness. If you've not embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, Today is the day of salvation. Don't let those emergency vehicles show up at your doorstep having not dealt with your own sin. You may not have time. Today is the day of salvation. Brethren, I want to remind us, we've had a 10-year anniversary this month. God is doing a good work in us. Be patient. Work hard. Be faithful. And what is a 10-year-old tree? I hope in 10 years, I'll be able to stand here and say, I can't get my hands around it anymore. Because it's so big. It's a 20-year-old tree. And then 10 years after that, I may not be here. I may, but I may not. And if I'm not, I hope there are some here today who will say, we got to get a bigger building. Because God has blessed us so. The kingdom grows. And it doesn't grow with digital responses. It doesn't grow with just adding water. It takes work to cultivate. And we need to be patient as we see God doing that work in our midst. Let us pray together.